or something and head to Acts uh, chapter 8. That's where we are uh, this morning, Acts chapter 8. give you one second to get there because I'm going to start just by reading the passage uh, for us and then praying and then we're going to dive into, into it together. We're going to read the first uh, 25 verses of Acts chapter 8 this morning. This, uh, this chapter, the chapter markings I'm sure you know in the Bible are quite arbitrary. Uh, they weren't there in the original. So when you start reading and it says like Saul agreed to putting him to death, it's like if you weren't here last week, you don't know what's going on. Uh, you have to scroll up on your phone or back in your Bible and say, what on earth, what just happened? You know, like it's just like diving into season three, episode 16, and you haven't watched whatever. Um, um, Stephen, sorry, I was thinking who, was it, who died? Stephen is stoned to death. Um, Saul is standing there watching. They've all come and placed, Dave preached this last week, they, they all come and um, place their robes in front of him, and he consents and agrees um, to the stoning of Stephen. And so we, we dive in here, the beginning of eight wraps up um, that event, and then you'll see where we go this morning. So from verse one, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid great they all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because they had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that so, so that anyone I lay uh, hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours 
and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray together. Dear Father, as we come to your word again this morning, we want to pause, we want to still our hearts and our minds, and we want to cry to you and ask that you would speak to us. We thank you that this is what you long to do, that you you are not a God who has just spoken. You continue to speak and cause your word to come alive through the ministry and the power and the presence of the Spirit this morning. So we pray, Holy Spirit, you would teach us, that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, you would soften our hearts to receive from you this morning. Thank you that your word um, shapes us and it forms us. And though we may be here this morning thinking we need so many other things, we really do need you to speak to us and help us and extend grace to us through your word. And so we humble ourselves this morning before you and ask you, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would shape us as a church, you would encourage us, that you would challenge us to do everything that your word um, has been sent out to do this morning. For our good and for your glory, we ask it. Amen. Winding back the clock, um, Jesus, just before he leaves, gives an instruction to his disciples, and he says what? You will be witnesses. You will be my disciples. You will be eyewitnesses of these things. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and I want you to go and go and make disciples of all nations. I'm, I'm collapsing a couple of things of what he said to them. I want you to go make disciples of all the nations, but I want you to wait in the city until you receive power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus ascends after he gives them that instruction of disciple making all the way to the nations, but this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so far, what we've looked at in the book of Acts is that the, all the action kind of just hangs around Jerusalem. We haven't really left um, Jerusalem yet, except for this week. This week is the first time you see the gospel now moving outside of Jerusalem and out of the Jewish community. And it is, it's earth-shattering and amazing. What continues now to happen in the book of Acts, things really start to speed up. If you want, I mean, it's not that things have been sluggish uh, up until this point. If you've been paying attention, um, thousands of people have been coming um, to faith in Christ, been delivered from demons, been healed. Um, priests have become believers. They've been locked up. The whole city is on its head, um, as it were. Uh, the teaching of Jesus is filling the city. Stuff is going down. But now what you're going to see is an exponential increase of the mission of God um, as it moves out of um, Jerusalem. And so if you're a note taker, the easiest way for me to summarize what is quite a long uh, passage here. And what we're going to look at this morning to make it easy to remember is this, that what we see happening here as the gospel moves out of Jerusalem is that every believer on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit, every believer 
on God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all we're going to do. Every believer. Every believer. You have a look in verse 1 here. This persecution breaks out. And what does it say? They are scattered all over the place. All except the apostles. The apostles get to stay at headquarters if you want. Um, but everybody else, not everyone, because as you read, there are still believers in Jerusalem. It's just a way of saying, but like the apostles stay there, but there, there's a massive scattering of everyone except the apostles. I'm just going to call them like the garden variety Christians, like the regular guys, not the top tier apostles, just not the clergy, the bishops, what, the, just the regular kind of churchgoers are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They are running for their lives. It says there's a massive persecution breaks out, spearheaded in many ways by Paul, Saul, who's going to become Paul. He hasn't become Paul yet. He's still Saul. He's ravaging the church. He's going into homes. He's coming. He's got his henchmen with him. Ding dong, ringing your bell in London or Parktown North there. Say, hey, listen, I believe uh, you're so part of the way. You're one of these Christians dragging them out of their home and chucking them in prison. This still happens to brothers and sisters of ours around the world. It doesn't happen here yet. It may never happen here. It may happen here. Here's a probing question. Would you be up for it? Everyone says yes until it happens. Right? We're all big, brave mice until they come knocking on our door and say, hey, apparently you believe in Jesus. They close the doors here on us on a Sunday and say, listen, what are you clowns all doing in here? I believe you're a church. You're not allowed to meet like this. That is the lived reality of many, many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And we have such exceptional freedom here. It's always a probing question for us. What on earth are we doing with our freedom? And do we bear a burden, a heart burden for those of brothers and sisters of ours who don't share this freedom and yet who are spiritually, vitally alive and many paying the ultimate price for faith in Jesus? So they all scatter and I want, I, want, I want you to see a couple of things in this, in this scattering because uh, I'd never really sat down with this passage enough to examine what on earth is going on here. But I saw a few things that were encouraging for me. This is not um, organized, as it were. A persecution breaks out against the church, and the believers have to run for their lives. It's not like the apostles went away on a strategy weekend uh, to Glenburn and whipped out the whiteboard and the flip charts and came up with an idea to reach Judea and Samaria and then came back and presented it to the church and said, guys, guys I got a, we've got a great idea. We feel like this is going to be the priority for us for the next while. It's not their idea. This is God getting involved by allowing, allowing a persecution to break out against the church so that the people are scattered. There's been no scattering yet. And yet, Jesus had given them an instruction, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They haven't gone anywhere yet. All the action has been in Jerusalem. And God allows this persecution to come. It's not a top-down thing. This is a bottom-up thing. It says all of the, except the apostles, they leave the leaders of the whole movement in Jerusalem, and everybody else goes. It's amazing when you think of it. There's no real as it were, qualified leadership. All of the elders, as it were, are stuck in Jerusalem. It's just deacons and everybody else in the church getting scattered, running for their lives, and off they go. 
all except the apostles. On our summary, we said every believer on God's mission and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so important for us to bank because these days, sometimes it can feel like in some churches, and I suppose we have to ask the question, what does it feel like in our church? What is the church? What is the mission of the church? Is the mission of the church that you all come together, listen to me, or Dave, whoever else we get up here, we preach, you're like, okay, well, that makes sense, or like, that doesn't make any sense, whatever, that was good, that was average, that was terrible, great, have some coffee, whatever, and then we go home. And, and you know that during the week, Dave and I, Michael, Gemma, we are busy serving the Lord. You know, we're like rolling the stone along here of Parker's Community Church. We're getting stuff done, and then we all get together again on Sunday, and you come, and we speak, and you listen, and whatever else, and we have coffee again, and then we all go, and then we keep rolling the stone during the week, and the majority of the burden of the progress and the ministry at Parker's Church falls on the full-time people, the staff, the leaders, the elders. Biblically, that's not correct. Amen? What you see happening here is that every believer gets in on the action. And because they weren't yet, primarily in Jerusalem, they're basically just recipients. I think there was action in Jerusalem. But what you see happening here through this persecution is that they go from almost being recipients and consumers to being um, deliverers of the message of grace throughout the area of Judea and Samaria. And it's important for us to get this as a church, that you are the primary vehicle of God's mission. You, not me, with a microphone on the stage. You, wherever you find yourself during the week, that is it. That is you. As it were, we are gathered here. No persecution is breaking up. But as you go tomorrow to work, whatever you do during the week, that's you being scattered on God's mission. So how does it then play out? Wherever you are on mission for God, what's it like? What kind of a missionary are you? Missionary is a corrupted word, isn't it? If I speak missionary to you, you think, of, you think of guys like John who came from America here. You have to get on a plane. You're not a missionary unless you got on a plane or a boat or something or at least crossed the border, you know? But it's not true. A missionary is somebody who is on a mission. Yeah, they're on a mission. You are all, we are all, by nature of being a follower of Jesus, you are on a mission. You are a missionary because you serve a missionary God and he's called you to himself and sent you on a mission. It's just whether you're an, or not you're a good missionary. You are a missionary. You may be an undercover, covert, silent kind of FBI kind of missionary. No one yet knows your identity or who you belong to, who you're serving, but you're a missionary. You are a missionary. Every believer on God's mission. Let's have a look here at what happens what do they do? What do they do as they're scattered? Verse 4, it says, So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Preaching the word. Now, the rest of the, the focus of this passage uh, is on uh, Philip and Simon. I would agree with that, and we are gonna, we're going to narrow the focus there. But it says that they, those who were scattered, all of them, they went on their way, preaching the word. Preaching the word. All of them. Not those who had gone to Bible college and learned how to preach. This is not that kind of preaching that they're talking about here. No one was interested in Samaria uh, for sermons gathered together like a, 
It's testifying to the gospel. Verbally testifying, sharing their story, declaring the truth about the resurrected and ascended Jesus. All of them are doing it. All of them are doing it. Not just those who feel called, qualified, who've had a few reps up front here. They're all doing it. That is the mission of the church, is that every believer would be on God's mission and would declare. Wherever you're going, you would be speaking about the gospel. You would be testifying. You would be preaching the word, not just with your mouth, but with your life as well. And we're going to look at some other things that happen. But this is the minimum. Now, this is super challenging. This is the minimum. We're going to get to miraculous signs and the spectacular and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff in a second. There's more to come. But a minimum, not requirement, expectation, just example of believers who follow Jesus, who are, ca who are caught up in God's mission, is that they would speak wherever God sent them. They would testify about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, my, I'm, I'm, I suppose, burdened. It's easy for me to get up here and to speak. It's challenging for me to say, well, Doug, how, how much do you preach the rest of the week? How much do you preach the rest of the week? How intentional am I about cultivating relationships where I can testify to the goodness and the truthfulness of who Jesus is in the rest of my relationships? This is easy. You just have to sit and listen, yeah? You can bring a friend. They listen. Okay, whatever. That's different. I don't think the majority of the preaching that you see in the Scriptures is this. Most of it is just by regular believers who are running for their lives, scattered throughout the area, talking about Jesus. It should it should be a more natural thing. It shouldn't be 45 minutes. It won't be today. It shouldn't have three points in a poem. It just comes out of you that you're just talking about Jesus. That is the preaching of the word. It's talking about who he is and what change he has affected in your life. That is the most powerful testimony. I would say that. That what you see happening here, the apostles are all stuck in Jerusalem. All the other disciples, followers of Jesus are spread, and the gospel spreads like wildfire, exponentially, because who's doing the preaching? Not the apostles, the rest of the congregation, if you want. Their sermons are more effective. So sometimes it's less effective for your friends to hear me share the gospel than it is for them to hear you share the gospel, because they know you. They know, you, they know you have no vested interest. I have a vested interest. In, in some people's minds, of people becoming Christians, joining our church, you know, they come maybe on a Sunday, they're like, yeah, nah, this, like, of course he wants us to become Christians. He wants us to join this church. He wants us to give them their money. Yuppa, yuppa. Like, there can be plenty of objections from unbelieving people around why professional Christians would have ulterior motives for you to join. But for you guys, what's the benefit in other people that you know becoming Christians. There's no benefit. It just comes out of you. It's a natural thing. Your testimony about Jesus, your personal witness to the life-changing relationship you have with Jesus Christ is far more powerful and effective than sometimes getting them to listen to the professionals, as it were. I leave that for your consideration. What did the mission include? We spoke about it, preaching and teaching, testifying to the Word, I'll give you four things. I think Tim Keller mentions these things. Word, deed. Second thing is deed. What does Philip do? He goes down there. 
And he just starts preaching. No, he doesn't just start preaching. He starts praying for them. He's praying for them. He's laying his hands on them. He's driving out demons. And he's praying for people who are sick, lame, whatever else to get healed. And the Holy Spirit is doing the most amazing things there. It's really important when you read this passage to flush out your own worldview here. Um, There are two things you see happening here. You see... um, spiritual freedom coming to people, and you see physical healing coming to people. When I say flush out your worldview here, um, when you get sick, when you get sick, what's happening? What's happening? What's your default thing? When you get sick, you, most of us in this room, you think, I contracted something from somebody. I shouldn't have shaken shaken that person's hand. My kids are germ carriers, whatever it is. Like that person who sneezed on me at church, that's what happened. I need to go to the doctor, and I need to get medication, and I need to get better, okay? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a physical, natural explanation to my sickness. In some other parts of the world, if you get sick, the default thing is I need to start to pray. I need to pray about my sickness because this, is a, this has a spiritual root behind it. This is not just a physical thing that's happening to me. There is a spiritual thing at work, and then maybe... They'll start there, maybe place all the emphasis there, and then maybe seek medical attention afterwards. So it flushes out your worldview. What you see here is Philip addressing um, the holistic nature of the gospel. People are set free from demonic possession and activity, and they are physically healed, and they're not necessarily connected. Sometimes you can be sick, and it's not demonic. It's just physical brokenness because we are fallen people. Sometimes you can be sick, and it has demonic things. Sometimes you can be demon. People can be demon-possessed, and we're none the wiser. I just want to say this, that we live in a naturalist worldview, most of us around this area, uh, materialist, not spiritualist. So you're going to go to the doctor first before praying when you get sick. Most of us, if I had to ask you, have you bumped into somebody who's demon-possessed? recently. Most people would be like, no, no. The demons are possessing other people somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe they're all in India. I don't know. Russia, China, those other places. Up into North Africa. That's where all the demons are. Really? All the demons are clustered there. It's just we're oblivious. There are people in Parktown North who are demon-possessed. They are demon-possessed. They are possessed by demons. They have not been liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. It just looks different in our culture around here. It looks different in this area. But we can't be seduced and deceived into thinking, oh, all the demonic activity is somewhere else. It's here. And you see Philip demonstrating this holistic power of the gospel by both preaching and by doing what's called deed ministry. He's praying for people. The sick are being healed. Demons are being cast out. And if you read church history, you'll know that the early church had a massive concern for the poor and, and for the widows. They, at massive cost to themselves, self-sacrificially served the poor in the cities they were in as the gospel spread. It doesn't detail it here, but we know if you read, you read multiple accounts of this in the church history, it's one of the things that, that unbelievers looked at Christians, and it's one of the things that marked them. It's like, these Christians, we don't understand don't understand why they, at great cost of themselves, serve our city like this. It's so crazy. It's one of the things that stood out 
um, for the early believers, the deeds. We need to be challenged as a church. Are we just a preaching outpost? Or are we a word and deed people? Are we a word and deed people? What are, we, are we getting our hands dirty? Are we involved in the lives of people in our workplace in this area? The third aspect you see of what's happening on the mission of God is that there is um, community. Community is formed and promoted and celebrated. It says that there many believe and what happens to them? They get baptized. Now, I'm going to poke you again here. If you haven't been baptized, you have to answer the question, why have you not been baptized? Water baptized. Because the standard progression here in the scriptures is you believe and you get baptized. You believe and you get water baptized as two things. One, identify with Jesus. Two, identify with his community. Baptism had such a powerful effect of helping people who weren't Christians, they were Samaritans, they became believers in Jesus, and they form a new community, Jew and Gentile, who are all water baptized. It's a marker for them that I'm part of a new people. It's not just that you're with him, it's that I'm with them as well. And uh, I mean, the story gets quite wild because Simon believes. Simon the sorcerer, it says he believes and he gets baptized. Is he a Christian? No. No. I'm so comforted by this because I think I've baptized people who aren't Christians in my past. I mean, people tell you a story kind of thing. It's like, oh, this sounds like this, like legit and genuine. You baptize them, gone. I mean, you think of the drain got them in the baptism. You never see them at church again. It's like, what happened to them? You know, it's like, what did I ever do to you? (laughs) It happens. It happens in church that you baptize people and they just disappear. It's almost like they are now right with God and it's just them, they're on like the me and Jesus train. They don't need the community. That's not what you see happening most of the time in the scriptures, but you see it happening here with Simon, the sorcerer. It says he believes, at least appears to believe he gets baptized, but you read later in the story, nope. He says he's, he's wicked, man. Peter just roasts him. He says, no, but your heart is nowhere, bro. You need to repent. Otherwise, it's going to end badly for you. He's not a Christian, and yet he gets baptized. He does join the community. In, in Acts, you, you, you don't see believers who don't get baptized. Let me just say that. You don't see believers who don't get baptized. Sometimes it's different how it works, and I'll leave that for you as a challenge. If you haven't been water baptized, In the Bible, you don't see believers who haven't been water baptized. They get brought into the community because the mission of God is about being part of a community. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There's no me and Jesus kind of examples in the scriptures. You're brought into a community. You're on the mission together with others. It's the shaping togetherness. It's very, very powerful. The last thing you see here on the mission of God is racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation. It's not as explicitly spelt out here, but if you read this, and if you understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, it jumps out at you. It is maybe the overarching thing that's here. When Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, something would have rung in the ears of those Jewish uh, a disciples are like Sam- Samaria. That, that's that would be strange because there's some Samaritans there. 
and uh, they're like half-breeds. They're basically dogs. We have no interest in hanging out there, being anywhere near them. They would feel defiled if they hung out even in the area. You sometimes see Jesus and disciples in the Gospels taking the scenic route. They're like, we can't go through that area because the Samaritans are there. We're going to go around. And they were willing to like drive, you know, not Joburg to Cape Town through Bloom. They would go like Kimberley just to avoid going anywhere near the Samaritans. And, and the, the fact that the gospel now goes, you have to allow your mind to be bent here that Philip goes from Jerusalem. This good Jewish guy, Greek speaking, but Jewish guy goes from Jerusalem to Samaria. Been persecuted, they fleeing for safety, but he goes to Samaria. Good Jewish guys now going there, testifying to the gospel, living amongst them, laying on his hands, preaching, teaching, loving, serving people. It is unbelievable what is happening here. There is only one explanation for what happened here. The gospel got a hold of Philip and changed him and changed his heart. It's the only explanation. And there is uh, an ongoing, you'll see, you'll see it again, and again, we'll touch on it in, in, in a couple of weeks, but the, the massive reconciling power of the gospel on display here. You see, the, God causes this multi-ethnic church to start to spread and to grow. And it's always been, it's always been God's plan that his people would be a multi-ethnic group. They wouldn't just be a homogenous crowd. They would be from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they would be together in the body of Christ, but they would also gather together in communities where they would display the reconciling power of, of the gospel. And there, in South Africa, this is always an awkward thing to talk about because we don't have laws that separate us anymore. We almost have laws that kind of force people to be together, and they can be laws that force you to work together or be with people that can promote uh, multi-ethnicity by law, but not necessarily in heart. You can make people of different colors and tribes and tongues do stuff together, but not because they want to, but because they have to. The only thing that can make people want to do it and become brothers and sisters together forever is the reconciling power of the gospel. That changes the heart of both in our country, white, black, Indian, colored, whatever. That causes us to come into the family of God and not just to be together in the same place, but to be together in heart and to see our um, brothers and sisters who are a different skin tone to us as genuinely brothers and sisters that we love and we celebrate and we enjoy and we serve Jesus on his mission together. Only the gospel has a reconciling power like that. And it's a challenge to me reading this to say, hey, man, we have a way to go still in, in this country. We have a long way to go. We have a way to go in our church. And this is a question only you can answer. Say, what is the condition of your own heart towards multiculturalism? How big is your heart? How wide open is it to brothers and sisters of different skin color that you would accept and love and enjoy and do life together with. Because it's a massive um, way in which the gospel is showcased to the world. It's a reconciling power. What is the result you see here? 
of these things, word, deed, community, um, and racial reconciliation. You see it, I think it's in verse 8. It says there was great joy in the city. Great joy in that city. That's amazing, isn't it? That's a challenge for every church in Joburg. Okay. Let's, let's narrow it down to Parkhurst. Is there great joy in Parkhurst because this church is here? That's a probing question, isn't it? If we closed the doors and packed up and gone, would anyone notice? Would anyone care? Do we love and serve and live here in a way that causes great joy to come? Not to us, but to the city. To those who are not part of us. We do so many things. We are such wonderful influence in this area that if we left, there would be a riot here. They say, you guys have to come back. You have to come back. We need this church in this area. You can't go. You can't go. The effect of the gospel through you amongst us is something we need. We may not believe what you believe, but we love having you here. That is a challenge for us. If that's not the case, what needs to happen? What needs to change so that we are a church like that, that is so loved and celebrated in this area because we are not focused on ourselves. We are focused on the one who God has sent us to, the ones who God has sent us to. We live for the great joy of the city. Last little bit as we close here. Every believer on the mission of God in the power of the Spirit. The word, many believe in Samaria. Word gets back to Jerusalem. And it says Peter and James come down to have a look at what's going on. I think that maybe they also flabbergasted. What is going on in Samaria? This is weird. And they send the heavies in there, send a delegation. And this is kind of normal that it would be um, not rubber stamped, but investigated and approved that this is a legitimate work of God because these are the apostolic founders of the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on them. So it's okay that they go down and have a look and say, is this genuine? What is going on here? This is amazing. It's wonderful. But let's just check that it's all legit. And they go down and it gets a bit complicated because they say like, well, we've heard about Jesus. We believe in him, but we haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so they lay hands on them and they pray for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people have thought now this is the number one reason why you know, second blessing kind of thing. You only receive the Holy Spirit post-conversion. I just want to say, we're not going to get deep in the weeds on this this morning, uh, that this is the only time you see this happening in the book of Acts. Okay, this is the only time it happens in the Bible that people believe and then receive the Spirit later on. The normative thing is believe, receive. Believe, receive. There are deep and life-changing infillings of the Holy Spirit further on, I think. But what you see happening here, I don't think is prescriptive, that there's this delay. Um, what you see happening here is the spread of the gospel and the spread of the Christian community from Jerusalem to, to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And you're going to see it happen again as it really breaks out into the Gentiles. Uh, but I don't think this is n- normative. And they, they lay hands on them and they pray for them to receive the Spirit. And what happens? Simon's watching this. Simon the sorcerer, he's watching, he's thinking, yo, yo, check what's happening here. This is amazing. Like he's, it says that he used to dazzle the people. He was like David Blaine. Do you know David Blaine? Yeah, like, uh, I'm sure there's other magicians, more recent names. I'm not big into magic, but I just know, I remember him. Like, I don't know how he does all that stuff. I just want to put it out there. 
I, I'm not going to answer your questions around what happens with magic. Some of it is sleight of hand, and some of it is just straight out demonic. That's my answer for you. Uh, but anyway, here's David Blaine uh, watching this happening, um, Simon the Sorcerer, and he's like, this is so hectic. I wasn't able to do this. Hey, guys, how much do I have to pay you? How much do I have to pay so that I can do this? So when I put my hands on people, they also get the Holy Spirit because something was happening. As people were receiving the Holy Spirit, there was a change. There was a power. People were seeing evidence of great power at work. And Simon's like, I need some of this. How much, Oaks? I've got, I've got bucks. I want, I, want, I want to buy this ability that when I put my hands on people, zap, something goes on. Like, and then I can charge them for this. I can level up. My reputation can keep going out as the, you know, the great power of God with this little nickname they had for him. There's no desire for ministry. There's no desire for people. There's desire for self-promotion and profiteering. And he's trying to buy the gift of God. That's what Peter rebukes him. We don't have time to go into all of it, but Peter rebukes him. What does he say? Listen, China, you and your money are going to perish together because you thought you could buy the gift of God. You thought you could buy what? The gift of God. The presence, the person, the power of the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. If you're a believer in Jesus, you receive the gift of God. God amongst us is, is a gift. You don't earn, you don't achieve, it's not a reward, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. As we were worshiping, I just had um, the thought popped into my head, what would happen this morning if Jesus, physical Jesus, walked through that door at the back there? What do you think would happen to our service now? If halfway through my sermon, we're not halfway by the way, but it, it, midway through the sermon, Jesus walked through the back door of the church. We would stop, eh? I mean, it would be like, it would be wild. I would stop, guaranteed. What would we do? It would be amazing, wouldn't it, to converse with him and to be with him. It would change your, it would change your day. It would change your life. Jesus amongst us. You know what Jesus said? It's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit amongst you. But he will be with you and he will be in you. That's what Jesus said. And we, get so, we would be so dazzled if Jesus walked through the back door, but he said, it's better for you that I'm going. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit amongst you. Guys, the, the reality of the Holy Spirit in you and amongst us, Jesus says is better than him being physically present here with us. And one day we will be physically present with him. We'll be resurrected. We'll have bodies like him. And it's going to be amazing. But it's not like we're abandoned like orphans in the, in, in the interim. We are indwelt. If you're a believer, you're indwelt with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is a game changer. It is the game changer. And it brings about the preaching of the word. It brings about deed ministry. It brings about um, a healthy community. It does change your heart for racial reconciliation. All of these things you see happening through Philip and his believers. Do you know what Simon didn't understand? Is that this was the gift of God. He didn't understand. He completely missed it. And that's why he gets rebuked by Peter. And he ends up saying, please pray for me that what you said is not going to happen to me. He completely misses that the presence of the Holy Spirit, the gospel itself, is a gift from God. It's not something you prize out of his hands. 
It's something we just receive. You don't earn it. And we come to him. We say, thank you, Lord. I want to just say this as we close, that the, the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit liberates and sets free and takes burdens off you. It doesn't add burdens onto you. Religion adds burdens onto you. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, no, I'm, I need to be a better person, maybe then I'll level up or I need to get my act together. It seems like a nice people, nice church, when I, what I need to do to fit in here. That's religion. Religion, religion, religion just keeps telling you you have to do, 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 do. The gospel says it's all been done and it takes the burdens off you. Jesus says my burden is light. It takes the burdens off because he has done it all and you get to receive joy in Jesus. That is the gospel. If you don't understand it like that, you need to ask God, well, help me get this clear. I, I live under the sense of burden of having to live right and achieve. And no, no, the burden is being lifted off you and placed on him. He lived perfectly in your place. So now you just get to receive a righteousness you could never achieve and a joy you could never, never proud of his hands. He gives it as the gift of God. Let's pray um, together as we close. Fathers, as we've seen this morning, what you allowed to happen um, in the early church and persecution that broke out and how the believers spread and went on your mission, preaching and demonstrating the power of the Spirit entering into community and being reconciled. We pray that you would give us as a community a, a greater longing, a, a fresh, a renewed longing through the Holy Spirit for the mission of God that we all get to play a part in. We pray that, you'd be, that you would be speaking to each one of us and us collectively of how we can flesh this out in what you call us to do every day where we spend our lives, what it looks like for the mission of God to be lived out in us and through us. I pray that through the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would, you would burden us to be more effective, more zealous, more front-footed, more vocal as we, as we serve you wherever you've placed us. And we pray for your renewed power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of yours. Thank you for the great gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for sending um, your Spirit to be in us and amongst us, to, to dwell with us, not just to visit, but to stay. What a treasured gift, and we pray for more. We pray for greater intimacy, greater power, greater authority, that we would be known as a church where you are amongst us. And people who come here would know that the, the Holy Spirit is amongst those people. And we pray for ourselves as, as a church, Father, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would help us with wisdom and clarity on how we can be and how we can live as a blessing to this wonderful city we get to live in. We want to be conduits that th through us you may bring great joy to this city. Because people are getting saved, people are getting delivered, people are getting healed. We're serving the needs of this city, not for ourselves, but for you. And we're conduits of great joy coming to 
the people you've placed us amongst. Would you help us with that, Father? We don't want to live as an end in ourselves. We want to live for the glory of God. We want to live every believer on your mission in the power of the Spirit. We need your help for that this morning again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.